Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast today with global shaper and social change maker Chelsea Glazer from Seattle, Washington in the United States. I strongly feel that there should be um, equal access to goods and services, which is the United Nations Sustainable Development um, Target, that essentially there should be education for all, there should be health care for all, there should be shelter for all and food um, at a very basic level and I think that there are programs in community you need a human connection um, so creating programs around those things for people uh, for everyone and to in a way that just inspires them also to tell them like you deserve this and more I am Julian Guderlai, and this is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, where you get to hear the stories and insights from entrepreneurs, social change makers, and artists, displaying how each and everyone's uniqueness makes this planet worth living on. And today here with me is Chelsea Glazer. I am excited to be here with you in Seattle, actually, at Occidental Square, a beautiful public space, and um, get to know your story a little bit more. I'm happy to be here, too, one of my favorite spaces. Nice. Well, let's kick this off, Chelsea. Um, how, do you, how do you start your days? Like, what, what does your mornings normally look like? How do you um, get into the zone? My days vary so much. I generally lack a routine. And for the most part, um, I something typical would be wake up and make coffee and breakfast at home and um, usually start my work day at home. Um, just kind of start by reading the news, becoming more in tune with what's going on outside of my world, but in the greater world around me. Um, and then bringing that back into the community by checking my emails and remembering what's going on in my world, catching up with all of those things. And um, I'll either make my way down to the Impact Hub here in Pioneer Square in Seattle, which is a amazing co-working space where magic connections happen and that's where I do most of my work from but um, also very flexible to work from home so uh, yeah it's it is it's hard to summarize an average day it totally very, very few average days for you very few average days yeah yeah I, I like it that way <laughs> nice that's amazing so um, you basically like you, you start with getting in touch and in tune with the world and then you circle inwards towards your community and what's happening in your in your day in your actual day exactly yeah nice I get that um, so yeah tell us a little bit more about thriving communities and what are you working towards Chelsea what is it that you're um, applying your passion to thriving communities network we are urban impact specialists so we help organizations and individuals who they have a drive to make an impact and a lot of the time they're missing the steps on how to get there and they're missing those connections and so that's what we do is we're we're very strategic in helping people find the best way to be the most impactful and achieve their mission so we help individuals and organizations plan events that drive action we help 
groups of people really do wayfinding, taking that step beyond just raising awareness and let's take that event, that panel discussion, and let's have a firm actionable. Let's have the audience do something while we're there. How powerful it is to have so many people with so many skills and so much passion in this room and just have them sit and learn. Like to me, let's move that one step further. Let's educate them on the topic and then mobilize them with the new knowledge and do something. So the part two of the question, you said, what am I trying to accomplish? Well, well, yeah. So what's your, what's your own, um, your own journey in that? Yeah, absolutely. For me, um, on a personal level, I want to create a life for myself that feels purposeful and it feels free where I can I can wake up and I can follow my drive and and go do that on my time and my pace and in my own way um, and just let the connections happen and sort of let let my let my passions and the new things that I learn just steer me and and let that increase my impact more naturally. And so I think that that freedom, that flexibility is what really drives me towards entrepreneurship. Um, but I have so many passions and such a, such a strong desire to make a difference and make an impact um, while making a living doing that, uh, that I think those two things combined, um, it just makes Thriving Communities Network such a natural thing for me to do. You know, um, I was talking to someone about this recently, and I was like, yes, I work a lot. I, I work all the time, and there's a lot of times, especially lately now that we're growing, uh, that I'll have to turn down social activities and you know make, make sacrifices for my business. But the way that I, I was explaining it to a friend was like, you know, working on TCN, working on these things, um, it doesn't feel like work. It feels just like this natural expression of things that need to get out and I, I need to I need to get this work out there into the world and it, it feels more like like reading a book like that amount of effort really and it's just I'm constantly learning from it and taking all of these things and trying to then drive them into an impact and in, into a career essentially powerful <laughs> that's an interesting metaphor like reading a book so you mean like all you have to do is, is open it and show up? Yeah, that's exactly it. I just have to open it and show up and it doesn't feel like work. And it also doesn't feel like 100% relaxation because my brain is really active and I'm absorbing all this information and I'm, um, you know, even more so, it's, it's more dynamic than that because I'm also bringing, bringing ideas. Um, but it, you know, the, the level of relaxation is as though I'm, I'm opening a book to learn something. Wow. So now that we kind of have a bit better picture of how you see work, let me ask this because I really believe everyone is a superhero and has a superpower. What kind of superhero are you? And, and what's your very unique skill, your unique superhero power? Hmm. Interesting. I think what it's less about one skill and I think it's more the combination of skills and passions that I have that make me unique um, like I, I certainly have a, a knack for strategy 
and systems thinking and really looking through looking through the the plan and the way the, the way something works down to every gear every tiny gear because those things matter and I think often they're overlooked and at a on a larger scale if something isn't working there's something just isn't clicking and it's not this natural flow of of progress and growth then there's something else in the system in the mechanics of what you're doing that it's not working it's not there's a piece missing and so even if that's the tiniest piece you know um, like for for example in my last job it's a really tangible example we had we had issues with um, losing clients and at the end of the day it was because it what it really boiled down to was our filing system was inefficient just the way that the, our employees were interacting with the papers in a drawer it's so tiny but it was just there the system was disorganized and it was hard to understand it was causing delays and that was this huge this huge gear well it's really tiny gear in the on the broader scale but once we I kind of identified this and and fixed it and gave them a tour and did all this stuff like things just really started to run and it's I think it's this idea of finding those tiny things not overlooking anything and still finding joy in doing these really menial seemingly menial tasks like reorganizing a filing cabinet because overall it's gonna achieve our mission that much better that much more efficiently so I think that's um that's part of your superhero power part is, of my superhero is power. seeing the interconnectedness of all things and yeah, and yeah. Yeah, systems thinking, is that what you said? Yeah, systems thinking. is just, And if it's a new project, you know, it's something I'm trying to start, just sitting back and thinking through, can I, can I envision all the steps? Can I lay out the pathway it's going to take me to get there? And if I can't do that, if there are things missing, is that a, a connection I need to make? Is that a skill set, a talent gap? Um, is that... Or is that just actually it's not feasible? You know, so finding finding those gaps before I really dive into something and figuring out even then new pathways to filling those gaps. So, um, yeah, just wow. strategy. Strategy. <laughs> yeah. So how is your how is your work that you're doing? Um, at this point in your life, how do you feel that this is benefiting the world? What kind of world is it creating? I hope that it's creating a world that people view their communities more holistically and less by sector, less by discipline. Not as many categories and boxes, but more so like we are all individuals with unique talents and skills that we can apply towards making our communities a better place. And we can do that much more efficiently if we do it together. And so breaking down these barriers of discipline and sector and common interests, I mean, well, common interest is really the connector, but breaking them down by these disciplines and convening people around issues together and that's that's really the goal is to stop these conversations from just happening within small bubbles of you know data scientists over here and then urban planners over here and architects over here and, and everyone in different bubbles but actually 
let's let's expand the bubble. Let's include everyone because we can't do it. We can't do it sector by sector. There's the what's going on in our cities and in our entire world. It's so integrated. All of the problems. You try to solve one thing with a quick fix here, it's going to it's going to impact so many more things that you could ever foresee. And so applying these really integrated solutions to integrated problems because they're so dynamic there's so many sides to them if we don't approach problems that way then we're just setting ourselves up to not make the impact that we want to see so that's what i hope that we're doing is uh, a really multidisciplinary integrated approach to solutions finding wow multidisciplinary integrated approach to solution finding I like that um, very much along your superhero power of um, you know th thinking between and see seeing the connections yeah that's great well let's do this Chelsea um, did you plan on what you're experiencing right now did you plan to be here did you plan to like have this career or, or how did you get to this place how did you come to to create um, this business certainly wasn't a plan. <laughs> Very few plans except like movies at 10 p.m. Like those are the only types of plans in my life that go pretty much according to plan. Um, and even then there's traffic and you're late or whatever, you know, it's hard to plan for things. Um, impossible really. So no, I moved to Seattle with no plan at all actually and um, found my way into this because I met my co-founder and her and I were working on very similar research around happiness in the built environments influence over community levels of happiness which is a very obviously uh, different and it's a different approach to urban design and urban planning and this really data-driven well-being focus so her and I started talking about issues we were facing in the way that our message was coming across and we discovered that we were facing the same issues which is essentially that people were not working together in this as I mentioned um, just very segregated by discipline and field so people in general or people in cities and communities um, at least the people in our networks that we had built here in Seattle that was what we were finding um, we also had this shared issue that we're both young women and talking about happiness and it's hard to be taken seriously and so working together and convening all these people who are doing very serious tangible work made all the difference to join forces and gather people people rallied around us once we're like this is a real thing we're gonna start this and it just it felt so good it was so nourishing that people are starting to take this issue of happiness which sound people tend to shy away from it like oh it's too fluffy and that's a scary word almost for people especially in a business context like how can you run a business that your core at your core is just about happiness like it's it sounds so intangible to people but to me it's it's all there is <laughs> it's um it's so very tangible and so we we gathered a lot of feedback from the people that were having trouble digesting it and understanding our, our messaging and we you know, we, we worded it in a way that it's really going to get through to people. We tend to lean towards well-being and urban livability, those terms. Um, they're a little bit easier for people to digest, but at its core, it's, it's happiness. It's thriving, um, thriving communities network. So 
<laughs> so tell us a little bit more about happiness in this context. So you speak about the environment and the way we set up the environment and interact with the environment that can lead to happiness? Yes. So there are very specific, like very tangible features of the built environment that um, influence happiness in different ways. So the way we've broken it down is what does a sustainable community look like from a macro level, uh, from a city level? like, um, And then what does a thriving community look like from a city level? And so we, we've really thought this through and we've been very intentional in, in all of our naming. You know, we're thriving communities for a very specific reason, which is that we don't feel that sustainability is that good of a goal. It's really not. It's just, let's get ourselves to a point that we're not in a constant state of degrading. And that's all sustainability really means. Um, just don't get worse. <laughs> and that's not good enough for me. So thriving, thriving is a step beyond happiness. Um, and so what that looks like from a community scale on a social sustainability level, sustainability of society, is essentially not contributing to negative emotions. The city shouldn't contribute, contribute to negative emotions. So the, the sustainability features overall of a city, in our opinion, are safe, secure, and intuitive. So safety meaning you're not concerned that you know you're on the sidewalk and it feels safe it you don't feel like the traffic is rushing by you and the, the car is going to hit you um or on your bike you feel that there are safe bike lanes for you even infrastructure wise if an earthquake came you know you're not worried that your house is going to crumble down um, and then secure as in um the the dark alleyways you feel safe enough to walk past and they're well lit or they've, they've created community spaces that are vibrant and you, you feel safe to, or secure to sit in them um, and that you won't be harmed by others or stolen from or something like that. And then intuitive, just this, you should be able to walk out your door with a destination in mind and figure out how to get there. It should not be, this is such a tremendous cause of stress for people to not understand where they need to go. Oh, I missed my turn. I'm stuck in traffic. Oh my gosh, like I need to be over here. You know, there wasn't enough wayfinding for them and their GPS can only get you so far, you know. Um, and so, and that's, that's a combination of things. Increasingly so that has to do with technology, but there's also this older generation that we need to tend to where we need signage still. We need, we need these really clear street signs and we need, um, like bus stops clearly marked you walk out your door and you should certainly be able to find your way to the highway or the bus stop um, so intuitive it should just feel like a natural flow in your city and it doesn't contribute to stress so those are the baseline elements of what a sustainable community looks like and then moving beyond that into sustainability or into thriving is um, we have human scale connected informed and um, and inclusive. And those are our four characteristics of a thriving community. And those mean a lot of things, and I could go more into depth if you want me to. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Awesome. Well, okay, so um, a, a human-scale community is that you're not designing the city around cars. That for a human walking down the street they feel like the city was built for them and it caters to them. 
because that is when you get the the interaction with your city um in a car you just drive straight by and you don't have enough time to really take in what's going on you don't smell the smells you don't see the little hole in the wall sushi restaurant that's going to be your favorite one day because you've driven past it at 30 miles an hour and um and also just clearing these wide open streets makes it so much more dangerous for pedestrians and bicyclists because the cars aren't anticipating any obstructions so thinking about human scale how are people interacting with the architecture how are people interacting with other people on the street um, how do we convene more community just by design how do people we get we there there are design features that just draw people in you know public art people gather around public art um, and then but then how do we take that the step beyond where people can actually interact and engage with it and with each other so these types of things, human scale, really thinking about the, it's UX on a very real level. Just, yeah, <laughs> I'm going on a tangent now. But so human scale. Um, and then informed. We're very big on data, especially with happiness, um, making that quantifiable and tangible in a way that a, a city government or a business could really take it seriously and do something about it. So anyway open data transparency and just these communication channels that help people get the word out they the city government can reach everyone they need to reach even people in underserved communities who lack technology or people with language barriers they are informing all of those people and are informed by their community members because the citizens are the best they're the eyes on the street you know um, so give us a technical example how would that how could that look um, there's a lot of communication platforms like through civic technology there's um, something in Seattle called find it fix it and so that's um, this is a two-way communication platform where um, for example if someone finds a pothole in the road you can take a photo of it drop a pin write a description and send it to the city and the city will receive it and they will give them feedback saying oh thank you it's been received it's you know in our on our list and we'll let you know when it's being fixed and then when find they it fix it is find a it seattle based app yes it's seattle based they have a lot of things like this all over um click uh see click fix i think is the the biggest company that makes these apps um got it so find for, it fix it for was our made listeners to, to understand and maybe maybe for myself to understand better so civic tech meaning that the data um, points that are collected by all the individuals are serving the greater good? Civic technology is actually, it's a growing industry, it's a growing sector of tech all in itself. And it's really, so think about smart cities technologies, those are really increasing the efficiency of the built environment. It's more about efficiency versus civic tech is more about communication and, and social change. And so it it's technologies that's used both by by citizens and by their governments and it opens these communication pathways and it builds community so essentially anything that anything that's a communication channel or a platform for convening community is civic technology wow insightful yeah yeah um, so, so that's human that. scale yes 
informed informed and then that that goes into connected as well so connected meaning also these things um these digital connections and through technology and this increased communication but also physical connectivity like if i'm on if i'm traveling on foot by public transit how connected is this and maybe i want to take my bike somewhere like i can't bike the whole city maybe and so how easy is it for me to from uh from my my bike path to the train to the next train maybe or a bus you know what what are my pathways of connection and are there through streets you know cul-de-sacs are just these huge barriers you know to it's just there it's a dead end and how do you get through and you know just this this flow this physical accessibility yes accessibility um yes so connectivity in both senses and um so and those the are the baselines for a thriving community. Yes, and there is one other, which is inclusive, and that's um, essentially making sure that that has a lot to do with affordable housing, even, and making sure that people have mm. access to what they need. Is there, you know, the the tech industry is is booming in Seattle, and they're building housing that caters to all of these people coming in you know from San Francisco from the Bay Area that are making six plus figures and they're building luxury apartments for them and it's driving the prices up everywhere and so how do we keep those people in our city and make a place for them through affordable housing and families there's very little family housing in Seattle as well so inclusivity not just that but um, beyond that to the immigrants the people who have language barriers and just providing places for them and, and making sure that they're included in the conversation and they have a voice in the community and the people you know public hearings public meetings how do people get their voices out if they have um, maybe they have kids and they can't make it to a public meeting because they have to watch their kids and they can't afford childcare, or they don't have transportation options that get them to the public meeting. Um, those types of things. How do we include them? So, those are the four of a thriving community. And with thriving communities network, you you apply this um, with your clients, or how how can I understand? How do you bring those four elements to um, to a city? How do you make this tangible and livable? A lot of it is. Um, so this is what we base it off of these these four things but of course at at the core um just looking at looking at the built environment looking at policy looking at the technology that currently exists and the gaps to thriving what are the barriers to thriving and then how can we these are essentially our solutions um our our baseline core solutions and we like to teach these to our clients and help them apply them to their own work and to drive their impact as well. Wow. Thank you for clarifying that. I think I feel like my mind is already exploding because there's there's so many things that I, I see cities could be doing with what you just, just shared with me. <laughs> um, I want to go back to happiness. And you were talking about macro happiness and systems thinking happiness and how we could design spaces for happiness. What about the micro level of happiness? What about individual happiness, which some people would even say is maybe the American dream even? Yeah. That's a great question. So, first of all, not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm not a cognitive scientist of any sort. However, I've done a lot of research on happiness. And what we tend to focus on is this macro level and what can, what can be done 
from a systematic point of view to give people in the city every opportunity to achieve happiness. You know, not contribute to their negative emotions and actually contribute to things that make their lives easier and better and more enjoyable. Um, but that being said, um, I know that there, there are two, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And I think it's a very, very individualized experience. And it, it really is dependent on your core, it's your core desires and your fears that guide you in your life and take you on your pathways, things that you're avoiding, the things you're fearful of, and the things that you are trying to achieve, or even, you may even on some level fear your desires, you know, it, it, it totally depends on how you are, how you're guided, what guides you internally, but um, the very, at its core, I think that happiness, there's two ways of looking at it. There's hedonic happiness, which are these moments of pleasure, like eating a chocolate or um, just indulging in something in, in a Self, brief moment. Self-directed. Yes. And then there's um, eudaimonia, which is an overall state of, of happiness, but contentment and just a satisfaction. Um, and so obviously you need you need a healthy amount of these hedonic moments, but there's also this pleasure principle that needs to be applied. You need to have a balance of purpose and pleasure in your life. Um, and everyone's, everyone's different with how much of that that they need that's going to, that's gonna create that balance for them. It's not 50-50, it's, it's different for everyone. Um, I think being very honest with ourselves about what our fears and desires are and just letting letting ourselves address them and observe them and move towards those things and um and finding those things that bring us purpose and finding the things that bring us pleasure in a healthy way um beautiful. yeah i think that's what i have to say about happiness on a personal level <laughs> beautiful well let's do this chelsea um w would you invest a billion dollars we're supposing you have the billion dollars. Would you invest a billion dollars like into space exploration <laughs> or cleaning up planet Earth? Ah, that's fascinating. Cleaning up planet Earth. See, right off the bat, like, my first thought is let's, let's be here. Let's focus on Earth. But, it's such a great question. Um, but just cleaning it up to me, that's just like putting a mask on it. We need to change the system. <laughs> we need to like, get people to a point of understanding that sustainability is not the same as environmental science. Sustainability actually at its core has nothing to do with the environment other than that environmental conservation and health, environmental health is um, a pathway to sustainability it's not the end goal the end goal is for society the very definition of sustainability emphasizes that the goal is about maintaining the quality of life for society for present generation and future generations and we simply can't do that without a healthy environment and so with this understanding that it's absolutely critical that what everything we're doing, the underlying goal is for society, 
um, you know, at least our Western culture that I'm a part of, um, elevating society and keeping that high quality of life. So with that in mind, approaching this cleaning up the earth with a billion dollars, it have to be very influential with these major corporations and the people that are causing mass destruction can clean it up, but it'll keep happening. So until we help innovate new ways that I know exist um, for them to make more money, be more efficient, and, and still be better for the planet and have these renewable renewable aspects to what they do where they're replacing what they take until we can actually systematically change it doesn't make sense to throw a billion dollars at cleaning up the earth it would its impact would be so limited mm-hmm. so so you, your first thought is is about home and certainly about yeah. acting on planet earth yet yeah. it's it's not so much about cleaning up but to disrupt and innovate yeah. and create new systems that make old, old systems obsolete yes got it yeah I think that certainly something that where, where my mind goes to to as well. Um, let's change it up a bit, Chelsea. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? And how did that influence um, who you are today? I grew up in a town in the East Bay area in Northern California called Pleasanton. It is just like it sounds. It's very pleasant. It's very calm. It's beautiful. Um, it's a very affluent suburb mostly it was very it was a very odd place to grow up in hindsight because uh, the kids I went to school with would get Range Rovers for their 16th birthdays and you know be driving around these luxury vehicles and um, lived in mansions most of my friends lived in mansions you know <laughs> like and, and when that's all you know growing up I mean I I grew up in a um, an upper middle class family and we were very well provided for and well-loved and very privileged. Um, I have to acknowledge my privilege. I think it's very important to be aware of your privilege in life and I've had a lot and I'm very grateful. And then I went to school in Arizona and I studied sustainability and urban planning and then from there I moved to Victoria, BC because my mother is Canadian. She grew up on Vancouver Island and I spent every summer there as a kid just playing on, on the river. My cousins, um, they have the 14 acres right on the river and we would go camping all summer, every year. And Sounds like a dream. It was such a dream. We would just play in this big pile of dirt next to the river. I remember this so clearly and all my brother and I ever wanted for Christmas was a big pile of dirt to play in. And my, my mom's just so torn. She's like, we live in the suburbs of San Francisco. There's no way to put a big pile of dirt, but my kids have such simple asks. They just want a big pile of dirt to play in. That's all we wanted. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to go back and engage this more wild, natural side. You know, I'm being such a city kid, suburban kid. Um, wanted to go be in Victoria, which is a small town, but surrounded by these opportunities of the wild and this ancient forest. And um, it's just in the water, just surrounded by water. It's such a beautiful city. So I went there, um, worked for the Trust for Sustainable Development on a wonderful, wonderful project called Spirit Bay and just enjoyed every moment of that. It was it was such a great experience and so we were building a sustainable town from scratch and I was a part wow. of it very early on and got to see from nothing to about 
10 homes under construction with two full-time residents living there and it was really amazing and they're uplifting the First Nations community there out of poverty within the next 10 years and it's, it, was, it was really inspiring to be a part of that and learn, you know, first of all, how do you build a town and what does it mean to be a sustainable town? And, um, and actually, that's kind of when I, my interest sparked in happiness and what, what can we do to promote happiness here? And how can this be different? How can this be a different place? And they're, they're saying, you know, you come here and it's just relaxing and you just feel this bliss and all these things. I'm like, but how does that translate to actual happiness? And so I, like, I'm like, you must be able to measure it. And that's just sort of the way I think. I'm like, well, let's quantify it. And so I started looking into it in depth and um, proposed that, you know, sort of from an urban planning and design perspective and um, approached the developer, David Butterfield, if, to see if I could design the parks for them and design them specifically to encourage community interaction and happiness. And at first, he was a little bit skeptical, of course. Um, <laughs> but over time, he really embraced it and actually did let me design the parks and a community garden and all these things. And um, their actual mission statement now is happiness by design happiness by design yeah so uh, very proud to have influenced that and um, really ran with it and um, and then you know at some point was just ready for a bigger city and a bigger challenge and the next thing and um, I moved to Seattle with no plan at all um, my best friend lived here and I wanted to have more fun <laughs> that's sometimes all it needs is a, a best friend to start with exactly wow and, um, and then I just got plugged into my network, basically through Twitter, actually, which is odd because I don't use Twitter that much, but I happened to go do a Google search for civic technology. I was very interested in civic technology at the time. And um, it's like, who's doing civic technology in, in Seattle? And found um, a woman named Candace Faber, and she's a civic technology advocate for the city of Seattle. And she's very inspiring. She's become a friend of mine. But I found her just with the Google search and then clicked on her Twitter page. And within a couple of minutes before that, had posted, I need some volunteers down at the city. And I was like, I'll do it. Hilarious. <laughs> and, Instant um, connection. Exactly. And literally within a few hours, I went down to the city and I met her after idolizing her for a hot second, being like, oh my gosh, the coolest job in the world. And, um, and she introduced me to just these seedling people that have exploded my network and just, wow. yeah, so it made all the difference. Um, anyway. <laughs> wow. That's, my, that's how I got here. <laughs> that's how you got here and, and from here onward. Wow, I heard one very interesting thing that I'd like to kind of spotlight with you here. You said you grew up in a like a protected like upper middle class of the United States of America, yeah. West Coast, you know, San Francisco area. Mm, yeah. A, a town called Pleasanton. Yes. It, it doesn't get more uh, picture perfect, I guess. <laughs> and yet, what you and your brother wanted for happiness is a pile of mud to play in. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that so telling about the society we're creating and these American dream goals that 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 we look for it is it's so telling I mean when you get to this raw childlike desire we go all we wanted for our happiness was a pile of dirt and we were surrounded by people who are working 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 to support their families and to thrive in an external facing way to thrive with these large homes and these fancy cars and who is that for 
is that you know maybe there maybe an element is exciting and it's a little bit of a rush and it, it brings you these hedonic pleasures to purchase the car be like I can do this but over time what value is that adding except for feeding your ego like I could I can I can have these things but I don't think that at at your core that is what your basic desire is is material things and um having I I can't imagine what the basic core desire would be that it doesn't drive you that's not what drives people and it's just society that starts to tell you what you should want and when you take a step back from that and you kind of tune it out it's powerful to engage in society as well because then you're heard and you're seen and you're more relatable you can get more done if you if you do engage in those types of things and you you show them like I know what I'm talking about because I drive a nice car and and it's gotten me this far and it's it's interesting but it is it is effective in its own way However, it's not going to, as long as you understand that this is, that's not what's going to make you happy. Maybe it'll drive your business and maybe it will give you more of an impact, but on a very personalized level. No, you need that pile of dirt in your yard. (laughs) You need a place to play and you need something, you know, we we found purpose and pleasure in that pile of dirt because we had all these toy trucks and we made lots of tunnels for them and we gave them pathways up the mountain, up the dirt mountain, you know, and we... In our fictional worlds that we created for ourselves, there was a balance there. Exactly, the balance that you alluded to earlier. And this connection to the earth too that you just you don't get in the suburbs. And it was just such a such a breath of fresh air to spend summers there. And I'm so so grateful that I did get that balance in a, a rural area, finding pleasure literally just in nature. We'd be swimming in the river and wow. playing in the dirt and running around barefoot for months on end. And um, and then just and then going back to the city and, and finding the importance of, of a balance of both the integration. Cool. Well, let me ask some like um, really short yes or no questions like ocean or lake water? Lake. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you meditate? From time to time. I'm trying to be more mindful about making time to meditate. <laughs> Got it. Cannabis or alcohol? Mmm. Depends. <laughs> Uh, universal both, both. <laughs> <laughs> At times. universal basic income yes or no um, universal basic income that's a tough one yes at least from a service perspective maybe not monetary income but meeting basic needs yes there's more there there's more there I can hear you, yeah. you want to you go on a bit about it yeah um, you share your thoughts on, on UBI. I think it's a, it's a topic that's coming up across the world. I mean, in Europe, multiple countries are testing it. In Switzerland, they had a referendum and decided not to implement it at this point. I know in Canada, there's multiple test groups. And a lot of people like Elon Musk or um, Mark Zuckerberg, they, they foresee universal basic income to be part of our reality. Mm. Um, and yet, when you ask most people, they all fear that it's going to just be abused by lazy people. Mm-hmm. And um, yet at the same time, it's kind of like an oxymoron. When you ask individuals, so would you still work if you receive a monthly basic income? Over 95% of people says, yes, of course I'd still work. While most people fear that others won't work. Hmm. So in my mind, this, this just shows there's an oxymoron there. There's something that is like a new state of consciousness, a new state of mind in which we could possibly coexist completely in a, in a new realm. 
and we're maybe not quite ready for it yet but there's a lot of signs pointing towards it so I'm super excited to hear more of your point of view there and you say at least in social services yeah so I think there are examples where the perception is that because they're receiving a monthly basic income that people aren't working and that you can see examples of this like with the First Nations in, in BC even where they do receive um, you know or, or welfare you know what, whatever those services are however my question would be how informed are these people who are receiving the money and not doing the work or any anyone for that matter how informed are they of their of what else there is for them of what they're capable of and what thriving means and how to get there you know maybe they're sustaining themselves on that income right but that income won't help them thrive and so thinking about it that way I just there would have to be such a this like deep-rooted inspiration and this this understanding that there's so much more that can be that can be had and done and achieved and so much more joy to feel than just than just scraping by got it and so what I hear you say Chelsea is that there's if there was something like a universal basic income or a service provided mm -hmm. what we actually need is, is a form of transformational education yes to uplift people to understand and raise an awareness yes yes I think some people's natural inclination is to um, is to like not appreciate they just don't have this gratitude of what's what's happening and they see they they have enough to get them by and they also just aren't inspired but I just wonder you know do they understand do they know have has anyone ever really told them in a way that they can that they can perceive it and understand it that there's more out there for them and that it doesn't take that much to like, everyone has this little inner drive everyone has goals and dreams and plans yeah. and how do you take that first step like sometimes it takes some hand holding and I think that we could see we could see a lot happen with this universal basic if if it did alleviate some of these um, you know very baseline human needs and fears that drive us to to make decisions based only on survival and not to to thriving um, but to educate people that there is more and that you deserve more um, and that it's attainable even if it seems so far out of reach and that all people who have what you're looking at and you wish you had they're just people too and they got there somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> I, I see. So I see the concern with not working. Um, I just don't think that the not working is an informed decision, as it could be if there was that. So, I don't know if that's the best solution. I strongly feel that there should be um, equal access to goods and services, which is the United Nations Sustainable Development um, Target. That. Essentially, there should be education for all. There should be health care for all. There should be shelter for all and food um, at a very basic level. And I think that there are programs and community. You need a human connection. Um, 
So creating programs around those things for people, uh, for everyone, and to, in a way that just inspires them also to tell them, like, you deserve this and more. And how do you how do you get to where you want to be and help like people that really help them understand that that it's that it's within reach for them to do more. Wow. I'm gonna throw a quote at you, and okay. um, I, I just want to hear your your um, wherever that takes your mind and, and heart. It's from Jane Jacobs, and here's the quote: "Cities have the capability of." Providing something for everybody only because and only when they are created by everybody. That boils right down to inclusivity and to connection and to human scale. All of these things about thriving are can be brought back to this quote by Jane Jacobs, um, something that has guided our work actually. And it's it's transformational when you you think about the way a city is built and you think my government builds my city but they're not it's not gonna work like this this little ecosystem that it is it's not gonna flow if it's just from the top down it has to be inclusive and holistic and informed though so you need these decision makers that understand the macro level but the people understand the micro level and the really personalized experience of a city and so bringing all of those people into the room into the conversation and building the city that works for you know obviously it's it's you'll never please everyone in all that you do but you can create a flexible system where it's safe it's secure it's intuitive it's human scale it's informed it's connected it's inclusive you can build those things and no one will be adverse to those core values wow i mean that's an overarching statement I would hope I, I don't um, you know maybe with inclusivity some people feel exclusivity is also good in some ways but <coughs> within reason I think that those are the types of things that we can influence and can do our best to do and um, from a city level and then but we don't know how to do that unless we ask the people what they want unless we ask the people what's missing what are their barriers and what are their bridges and how can we make them accessible to all well we're approaching up on the hour here and um, there's one more question i want to ask you and um i, I want to thank everyone who's made it so far with us and the seagulls and crows and pigeons and um occidental square here in seattle is certainly an interesting environment it's a very gritty urban place <laughs> people playing ping pong playing giant jenga some chess being played um, yes, I hope you enjoyed being with us in the city of Seattle. I feel like moving step by step, year by year, election period, election period, country by country through this earthly existence is, is somewhat an outdated model. So let me turn this around into a question to you. Um, if we had, we being humankind, if we had a 200 year vision for planet Earth, what would yours look like? It's a great question. My first, my first thoughts go to urban planning, um, which, you know, can be achieved today. It doesn't have to be, but in 200 years, we have the technology to do to, to fulfill my vision now. But my vision is that with within walking distance of every front door, and walking distance is relevant to climate, to to 
you know, quality and infrastructure, um, road grade, capabilities and disabilities, um, all those things. So within walking distance to every, from every front door, there'll be a green space, a community space, a space to grow food and to buy fresh produce. Um, and, you know, coffee shops, some recreation, something for everyone just out the front door. Um, and then that's like my utopian city vision. Uh, and then from there, I really think car share, car share or just public transit everywhere. That's just so easy and connected. I just think it's it's so much about mobility and it's um, about this this thriving that your city can promote. Like life should just feel like it flows when you live where you live. Um, you need something, it's around the corner. Or or you want to go get out of town, you can jump on a train. You don't have to worry about driving and they come every so often. You don't have to plan so far ahead and you can just go with the flow of life and um, and have these, have the city provide this convenience and this joy, um, the opportunities for joy, uh, just built in right outside your door. Um, that's sort of my utopian vision of what a city could be, but also obviously from a like a technological side, um, just so much information that we can use to make things better like obviously information is a very powerful tool and depending on whose hands it's in it can be could be scary um but also using it to inform our decisions and continue to make people happier I just think that that is that is the underlying goal or for people to achieve their states of thriving and so doing everything we can um, within the parameters I was talking about before, out, you know, outside of those parameters, whatever it is, um, as we learn and understand people and as we understand our own consciousness on different levels, as we evolve as human beings um, and individuals and as communities. And think, um, I would love to see people get more into this, this group mindset like we're we're all we're all here on this earth we're all well-intentioned we're all trying to succeed in whatever our vision of success looks like we're very much the same and let's do that together let's lift each other up because we all have our own sets of skills and our own resources and our own goals and if we find others that share our goals and we align with them we're going to be so much more powerful and make such such a bigger difference more of an impact and get what we want much faster wow wow does that answer your question well that that is one one possible answer to this one question i feel like there there's there's no right or wrong answer to this question <laughs> it's it's just more a, a way to think um what could be right yeah well thank you chelsea thank you for taking the time thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chelsea Glazer, co-founder of Thriving Communities Network and Global Shaper, sharing with us her definition, perspective, and insights on happiness and how to create and build 
and deliberately plan for happiness in our communities and external environments. Make sure to stay tuned to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Follow me on iTunes or on Facebook. Find the Green Planet, Blue Planet Facebook group and um, stay part of the conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Mm -hmm.